I want to invite you that you would open your Bible uh, with me this morning to the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We, we've come to the last chapter of this epistle. And what Paul is doing here is that he began by encouraging the church. In chapter 1, he's encouraging the discouraged. Through tribulation, he's encouraging the discouraged in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he's enlightening those that are disturbed, those that believe that they are living at the day of the Lord, that they are living under a period of time of judgment or God's wrath. He's encouraging, and then he's enlightening the disturbed. But finally here in chapter 3, what he's doing, he's exhorting the disobedient. He gives an encouragement, an enlightenment, and then finally an exhortation for those that are disobedient. He, he wants them not only to be a growing church, not only to be a, a new believing church, but to be a healthy church. You know what it looks like to be a healthy Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ? It, it doesn't simply mean a church that is growing numerically, but it also means a church that is growing healthy spiritually in obedience. And hereafter, he's already given them the revelation of our salvation. At the end of chapter 2, he, he reminded them, remember, you have been saved from the past. God has now pre-planned this for your life, and it all originated from his love. It's happening presently through his spirit, working in you, setting you apart for salvation. And there's a glory that awaits you in the future, and that looks like heaven. He's told them these truths. Now, based off of these truths, Paul now exhorts them to stand fast. He tells them, I want you to stand firm in the trials and tribulations that you're going through. Based off the truth that you know, based off the truth of your salvation, stand firm, hold on, stand your ground, and continue to live a life of Christian testimony in this world. So what is the exhortation that you would live with a godly testimony? Did you know that your testimony matters? Why? Because people are looking at your life all the time. And in this world, as we wait for Jesus Christ, people should notice a Christian testimony in our lives. Wherever you go, we were sharing with the staff just recently, no matter where you go, people will remember you, they will recognize you, they will say, I, I, I remember that person from church, and we need to have a godly testimony, and that is our responsibility that Paul is telling the church. I, I remember mentioning to you that I recently went on vacation with my family, and, and you know, there was a few setbacks because uh, my children, uh, they got sick, and, and they were throwing up, we had to take them to the doctor, and finally we're headed back home, and we're in the airport, and by this time, I'm very frustrated now. <laughs> Everything that I thought would happen did not happen on this trip. And we're in the airport headed back home. I just want to get back home now. It's hot. And I'm holding my daughter in my hands. And I'm about to go at the gate to the attendant that is at the gate and, and tell her that what she's doing is wrong. She's not attending to my needs and the things that I need. <laughs> and so upset, so frustrated, uh, looking to approach her for that, the Lord quickly stops me. And he stops me with these words that I heard coming from behind me. And there were the words the, uh, uh, that sounded like this, Pastor Art. <laughs> I was holding my daughter and I closed my eyes. I said, Lord, now is not the time. <laughs> I, 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 I did a 180 like I've never done before since I met the Lord Jesus. And the Lord checked my heart. The Lord checked my mind, my attitude. <laughs> And he said, remember that you have a responsibility to display a Christian testimony. And so do you right now as you've come into church. You have a responsibility to maintain a Christian testimony. So what does he say regarding the truth now? Believe the truth. Guard the truth. Practice the truth. And today, you know what he says? Share the truth. Share the truth. We can share the truth based off of this, that God is always faithful. Would you say that out loud with me? God is always faithful. That's the title of the message 
this morning, you can note that God is always faithful. And this is the pastor's desire for God's people. This is the pastor's desire for the church. In fact, this is my desire for this church. And and I pray that we would not only take this uh, next few five verses as something that God was speaking to the Thessalonian church, but that you would take this as if this is for the Calvary Church of Downey, Calvary Chapel of Downey, that, that this is for us right now, that this is God's desire for this church and for the congregation of this church. So would you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's word? We'll begin there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 through 5. I'll read the odd verses. And you join together out loud, strong, reading the even verses. God's word tells us this. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you because your word is true. Lord, because you have given us an exhortation that we would respond to this, Lord, that we would maintain a Christian testimony, that we would remember that you are always faithful, regardless of the circumstances. So we pray this all in Jesus' name, and together we would say, amen. You may be seated. There are three things that Paul here is exhorting the church for. The first exhortation is this, our prayer requests. The second one is our confidence in the Lord. And then finally, number three, our desire for love. If you like taking notes, would you note that as well? Our prayer requests, our confidence in the Lord, and our desire for love. There in verse one, he begins with our prayer requests. And he asks for prayer, he requests prayer for two different things. The first prayer request is for this, pray for the success of the message that you as a church, you as believers, would have a heart to pray for the success of the message. This is what you should be praying for right here at this church, praying for the success of the message. In fact, if there is an exhortation or an appeal that he gives, he says, be a praying church. Would you be a praying church right now? Would you continue praying for the success of the message? And it begins here, this exhortation, by saying this, In verse 1, finally, notice what he does here. He says, in conclusion, he says here, for the rest. And he sounds like a pastor because he says the word finally, but he still goes 18 verses more. It's been said before, if you ever hear a pastor say finally, don't believe him. He still has a while to go. But he says here, finally, now for the rest, we ask you now, or he says, pray for us. Now, now this is now written in a very imperative form, which means continually be praying for us. Not only continually be praying for us, but this is what that means. Be surrounding us with prayer. Here, Paul, the pastor, is appealing to the church, would you consistently and continually be surrounding us with prayer? We need to be surrounded by your prayers for us. Here, this is what he asks for. He's not complaining about his trouble. He's saying this, don't forget that I need your prayers too. Because he's already written his prayers for them to God. He's already said, I'm praying for you, church, that you may grow in love, that you would be faithful and fruitful and enduring. But now he's saying, would you remember also to pray for us? We need your support in this way. It's important that you see that because Paul had knowledge, he had training, he had ministry experience, he was trained in the law. But none of those things were the source of power to his life. He he did not depend upon those things as the source that would give him strength or power for his ministry. He was depending upon the Lord for every aspect of the ministry. Do you see that? 
He was relying on the Lord. So he says, pray for us. Through scripture, he consistently enlisted himself for prayer support from the church. He always asked for their prayers. And notice he's asking for prayers for the right things. You, you can tell a person's heart. You can tell a lot about a person for what they request for prayer for. And you see here that his first request is not for his personal comfort or for his deliverance or his personal needs, but he's praying now for the spiritual needs of others first. Would you pray for us for the success of the message? Would you pray that God would help us? We, we depend on God that he would strengthen us and empower us. And we ask you that you would pray to God for us, the pastors, the leaders, the church. In fact, there are several moments in scripture where he asks for prayer. In fact, he asks that the church would pray for boldness. Would you write that down? Because these are the very things that I want you to pray for us for I would ask that you would pray for me in these areas, for our pastoral staff here on these very things. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, notice what he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. I want you to continue to pray for the saints with all supplication. And notice what he says, and for me, that the utterance may be given to me, that God would give me the words, and that I would open my mouth boldly, that I may make known the mystery of the gospel. Would you pray that God would give me the words? And would you pray that I open my mouth boldly to give the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm depending upon you to pray for us for this. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, he then asks the church to pray for open doors. It's important that we don't become comfortable, but we're always asking, Lord, we pray for boldness through Calvary Chapel of Downing. Lord, we pray that you would open doors for the advancement of the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ through our church, that you would consistently open doors for your word to go out. Colossians 4.2 says this, continue earnestly in prayer. What does he mean? Fervently, pray with a passion. Being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Be awake, be alert. Be grateful in gratitude, pray. Meanwhile, praying also for us. You see how he asks for prayer for himself and his missionary team? That God would open to us a door for the word. Notice. Not for ourselves, that God would open a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in chains. You know what Paul has a heart for? For the word of God. For the word of God to continue. For the word of God to go forward. Pray for open doors. Pray for boldness. But he also asks this. Pray for my deliverance. In Romans 15.30, he says this. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, and through the love of the Spirit, for the sake of Christ, because of the love of God, through the unity of the Spirit, notice that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. You know what it means to strive together in prayers to God for me? He's saying, I want you to agonize. I don't want it just to be something at the end that you remember that you simply throw out, oh yes, and we pray for the pastors. No, he says, I want you to strive. I want you to agonize. I want you to be in pursuit when it comes to prayer, asking God that he would bring deliverance to those that are coming to oppose the word of God. What is Paul saying? He's saying, I, I can't do it alone. I, I need your prayers. No one can win the battle alone. There's never been a preacher that's been used by God in a great way that has not been supported by the prayers of the people. Even an ordinary person with our extraordinary gifts, it's amazing the work of God that God can do through that vessel if the people are praying for them. And he realizes this. So pray for us, pray for the success of the message that it would, notice, the word of the Lord may run swiftly. Do you know what his heart is here? The word of the Lord in fact, I encourage you to underline that in your Bible, the word of the Lord. Would you pray for us that God would use us so that the word of God would run swiftly, that the word of God would run without any hindrances? That's what that means. 
Swiftly means without hindrances. How about this? Without distractions. Pray for us when we speak God's word, there would be no hindrances and no distractions. Run swiftly has the idea of spreading rapidly. It's the idea that it would come out with strength and it would come out with active power of the Holy Spirit. That nothing would slow it down, that nothing would stand in the way of God's word going out and advancing. When it comes to the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God, that nothing would hinder the advancement of the proclamation of the truth. In fact, run swiftly means this, that the word of God would have free course. Just think about that. That we would think of God's word as something that deserves the respect to have free course, like an Olympic runner that is free to run without obstacles, that is free to run without obstructions. The word of God should go out without obstacles. The word of God should go out clearly without obstructions, without anything taking away the attention from the word of God. You know what can be an obstacle or an obstruction to the word of God? It could simply be your phone ringing right now during service. It can be someone distracting you while the word of God is being taught. It can be anything that takes away the attention from God's word penetrating the hearts and the lives of the people. Do you see here that his heart is the emphasis of the word of God? He says, don't think that I'm merely just communicating words and good ideas. Uh, no, it's not that. I'm releasing and transmitting the all-powerful, active, dynamic word of God to the people. And pray for us so that when the word of God goes out, nothing would stand in the way. That it would penetrate the hearts and minds of the people that are receiving it. Did you know that's the priority of the pastor is the preaching and the proclamation of God's word? That's exactly why this is the very first thing that he asked for prayer for. It's that Greek word keruso that means to proclaim, to preach, to herald from an ambassador that comes with a message from the king that he is in now given the authority to give that message, not change the message, proclaim it, nothing more and nothing less than the word of God. And there's a reverence, there's a respect here. What did, what did Paul tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2 when it came to the word of the Lord? He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come. And the time is here now, I want you to know. When that they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, People are going to seek out what makes them feel good. Notice this. They will heap up teachers for themselves. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. They'll, they'll be turned aside to good stories. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That is the ministry of the word of God. He says, pray that when I preach the word of God would go out effectively. That, that should be your prayer as well. That the pastor is depending upon the prayers of the people. Whenever a Bible teacher is intending and attempts to expound the word of God, he's not simply contending against the failure of the part of the people that don't want to receive it. But he's also contending against the unseen powers of darkness and rulers. He's engaging in spiritual warfare. There's a battle that's going on spiritually anytime anyone desires to do any work for the Lord. So he says, you must be praying for us. You see, behind every victory of the word of God, there must be and there always will be. There is a necessary victory that happens first in prayer. The victory of the word of God first happens through the victory in prayer. There was a president of a Christian college that was asked, well, how are things going as someone visited the college? And he, he replied, and he said so confidently and boldly, he says, we're going forward on our knees. That's exactly how the church should go forward on its knees. Praying for the proclamation of the word of God, that it would have its free course, that it would run freely without hindrances and obstacles and objections. That is the right answer. In the Lord's work, any progress that's, not, that's made 
when we're not on our knees will not amount to much. You can plan, you can work hard, you can say you're talented, you can say that you, you were diligent. But if it was not done in prayer, it will not amount to much. It must be progress in prayer. Remember that today. Yes, you can see progress, but is it progress done in prayer? In all our work for the Lord, it's very important that we pray. It's surprising what God can do with the person that's willing and that is praying. Prayer is not a gift for the church. It is a privilege for the child of God. And that's why he says, pray for us. That nothing would stand in the way of us proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That nothing would take the attention away from the living word of God. And notice what he says there at the end of verse 1, that it would run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. Now, he's not only praying that it would go out freely, but he's also praying that it would be glorified. What does that mean? That it would be received with honor wherever it goes. Pray that when it does go out, it's also received wherever it goes. You know what this expresses? It expresses the idea of the word of God being triumphant in the lives of people that are having the word of God have victory in the hearts and minds of people. It doesn't mean that it would be glorified in a single victory, but what it describes here, it, it describes a series of victories after victories time and time again. That they would mark the progress and the progression of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world. Pray that it would be glorified, that it would break through, that it would have victory in the lives of those that receive it. Why? Because people do not want to receive the word of God when it goes out. You go outside and you, you sit at a Starbucks, open up your Bible, and you watch how people look at you as they walk by Walk around at the store with your Bible in your hand. Notice how people will look at you. I still remember being in high school in chemistry during the sustained period of time of reading for the school. And there, having taken my Bible out of my backpack at a public school, putting it on my desk to begin to read it, that my chem teacher told me, you put that away before you offend somebody. The word is rejecting, the world is rejecting the word of God. So what does he say here? Pray that when it does go out, it's also glorified. That it has victory, that it breaks through the hearts and lives and people. That it would be free to do in the lives of other people the same that it did in you. Do you see here how he says glorified there in verse 1? Just as it is with you, that the word of God would be received, appreciated, obeyed with the respect that it deserves, that, that the same work that it did among you, it would also do among others. Now you see here that Paul's prayer request makes us wonder how often the word of God is hindered because of prayerlessness. You know what he's asking for? Would you partner with me in the preaching of the word of God? How do you partner with the pastor in the preaching of the word of God? By praying. Praying for the success of the message. Yes, God has promised that this word will go out free and it will accomplish his work. The Bible tells us that. In Isaiah 55, verse 11, you can note this. The Lord says, so my word be that goes forth from my mouth. The power of the word of God, it shall not return to me void. It's not going to turn, return to me void of power, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. That is God's purpose. That is God's power behind his word. As, as with many of God's promises, we're expected to take these promises in faith. But we also take these promises in prayer. Notice this. We ask God to perform his promises for his glory. How do we pray? Lord, we pray that your word as it goes out, it would go out with power, that people would receive it, that it would be glorified. It would have a breakthrough in the hearts and minds of people. Lord, that it would prosper and you would accomplish what you desire for your own glory. That's what he's asking for. Would you pray for us? Pray for the success of the message. But he also says there in verse 2, pray for the safety of the messengers. 
Not only for the success of the message, would you also pray for the safety of the messengers? It's important that you do so as well. Because prayer is also effective in overcoming opposition. So we pray that there would be no hindrances, that nothing would stand in the way, but prayer is effective in overcoming any type of opposition. We're praying for the protection of the Lord, that that we would be delivered. That's what he's saying. That we would be rescued. There's a little plug for VBS. He's saying we pray that we would be delivered from those that are coming against him. In fact, notice what he calls them there in verse 2, from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Lord, would you deliver us? Would you pray, church, that we would receive deliverance from the people that are unreasonable men? What does it mean to be unreasonable? Men that are capable of doing very harmful things to those that are serving the Lord. Unreasonable means those people that are out of line, that are out of their place. You better believe that when God is doing a work through his church, when the Spirit of God is active in his church through the Word of God, that there are going to be people that are going to want to come against the church to silence the Word of God, to oppose the messengers, to distract the servants, to take them off their course. And this is why he's saying, pray that we're delivered from those people that are opposing us so that through prayer, we overcome the opposition. Pray for those people that are out of place, that, that, that are out of line, and also pray for those that are wicked. In fact, it would say the unreasonable and wicked men. Unreasonable, that are harmful, wicked people, that are evil people in and of themselves and desire to corrupt others as well. There are those that are unreasonable. There are those that are wicked. There are those that want to hinder the work of the gospel. They have their own selfish agenda, hidden motives. They want to come and distract. They want to come and take away from what the Lord is doing. So you're saying, would you pray because they're perverse? They're aggressively unrighteous in their opposition of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they wanted to give us trouble during this time. You know what Paul is experiencing here? Spiritual warfare. There are people that are attacking him. And you know what he needed? Divine deliverance. There are people that are coming against God's servants. We need divine deliverance. There are times where you're going to feel the opposition. You know where the victory is going to come from? How you're going to overcome that opposition? It's going to come through prayer only. You may feel outnumbered, but this is exactly why he says, pray that God would give us deliverance. Deliverance when we preach the gospel, not only from the satanic powers that try to come against us, but also from those instruments that are under the control of the devil that are wanting to stop and hinder the work of God. That's what it means to pray a hedge of protection. You know what the hedge of protection looks like? It is, it's, it's praying now a covering of protection for safety from the dangers of that which comes from the outside trying to come in. So that's exactly what he's saying. Would you pray a hedge of protection around us? What is our weapon as Christians? Our weapon is prayer. And the only victory that it's possible is possible through prayer. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, notice what the word of God tells us, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We don't only wrestle against a physical enemy from people that are coming against the church. It's the demonic powers of Satan coming against the spiritual work of God. That's who we wrestle against. So therefore, we must fight against that opposition in prayer, in the power of the Spirit. You can't fight against that in the power of the flesh. We have an enemy. But as Romans 8, 31 would have said, and we know it very well, but if God is for us, then who can be against us? We do have an enemy, but we also have an advocate. And there he says in verse 2 at the end, for not all have faith. Not everyone's a believer. Look at there in verse 2. Notice it. 
Not everyone's a believer, and if everyone's not a believer, then opposition is expected. Simply because the word of God is going out, and it directly stands against what the world stands for. So there are going to be those that are directly opposed to the Christian biblical worldview. They don't have faith. And what, is it? what are we to do? We're, we're to pray for deliverance against them. We're, we're to pray that God would give us deliverance. Justice may never come in this world for Christians. We're, we're not looking for justice in this world. That's going to come when the Lord writes every wrong. But notice what happens. We can pray for deliverance today. But we're not praying for justice. You know what we're praying for? We're praying for deliverance. That God would give us deliverance from the wicked, unreasonable people that are coming against those that are preaching the gospel. How should we be praying here as a church? Pray for the success of the message. That God's word would continually go out and pierce the hearts of the people that are listening in their minds and hearts. But also pray for the safety of the messengers. That which is wanting to come against the church, that God would give us deliverance from it. That is here our prayer request. But notice as he continues there now, what's next? Our confidence in the Lord. You see, not only does he ask for prayer, he also has confidence in the Lord. Notice what he says. But the Lord is faithful. This is amazing here because he's already given us a picture of our enemy. He's also already told us that we're going to be attacked. He's also already mentioned that we should expect opposition. And he said, notice, be a praying church. But notice number two, he says here, be trusting in the Lord. And I want to tell you the very same thing today. Would you be trusting in the Lord? Would you trust in the Lord? Would you wait on the Lord? Notice what he says, but the Lord is faithful. Although people come against us in adversity, Although the enemy wants to attack, although the Thessalonians, some of them may prove to be unfaithful in their walk with the Lord, when we're disappointed, when we feel betrayed, when you feel rejected, when people let you down, when you're faced with broken promises, when you have a bad test result right before you, the answer is the same, but the Lord is faithful. That is the answer that he's giving them. And notice what he says, the faithfulness of the Lord. Why does he say, but the Lord is faithful? Because we can trust a faithful God. He's reminding them. He's reminding us right now. You can trust the faithful God. This is part of the attributes of God. We can depend on God to do what he promised to do. Today, you may find yourself in a, in a trial or a tribulation, and you would say, well, I don't have the answer. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I feel overwhelmed. I feel tired and weary fighting this battle. The answer is the same, but the Lord is faithful. I've had a bad past. I went through the struggle. I lost everything. I walked away from God. You know what the answer is today? But the Lord is still faithful. He's still faithful in your life. He's faithful in every season that we go through. Didn't the psalmist say the very same thing in Psalms 23, verse 4? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Notice what he says. Your rod and your staff. What do they do? They comfort me. God will never disappoint you. God will never let you down. Notice what he says. God is faithful. That is the attribute of who God is. And he's faithful to do what? Notice what he says in verse 3. He's faithful who will establish you. He will strengthen you. He'll provide two things in his faithfulness for this church. He'll provide strength on the inside. God is your source of strength right now to continue so that you don't give up, so that you don't now are discouraged in defeat. He is faithful to provide strength on the inside, strength and stability so that you're not easily shaken. But he's also faithful to provide protection. Two things that he provides in his faithfulness, he provides strength and then he provides protection. How does he provide protection? He will guard you from the evil one. 
He's going to watch over you. That's God's faithfulness over his people, caring for them, watching over for them. This would be comforting to them while they're experiencing strong persecution. Remember, God is faithful. And remember right now, as he is faithful, he's going to strengthen you in the inside. He's going to stabilize you. He's going to give you the strength that you need to continue. And then he's going to protect you on the outside. He's going to guard you from the evil one. You know what he's telling them? He will strengthen you so that you don't fall. That is how we can lean onto the faithfulness of God right now. You can depend on God's promises. Lord, you are so faithful and we can trust you so that we don't fall. You know why a lot of people panic when they're going through trials and tribulations? Maybe they're afraid. Maybe they try to solve in their own strength and power or they get become frustrated, very disappointed because they have no peace. They have no trust in God. And how can you have trust in God if you don't know him? He's reminding them, remember who God is. When you remember God is faithful, no matter what situation you're going through, you can have peace. You don't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I have peace and I have joy. Where does that come from? That comes from your knowledge of who God is, the attributes of God. God is faithful. He is faithful to complete what he started in your life. He will complete it. Philippians 1.6, being confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We're confident. God is faithful. Yes, he used me back then, but he's going to continue to use my life. He's not done with me yet. You know why else he's faithful? The Bible tells us that he is faithful who called you into fellowship. Because of his faithfulness, we have fellowship with him. We're unfaithful many times to God, but notice he remains the same. He always is faithful. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, Paul tells the church, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful, and because of his faithfulness, you were called into his son, into fellowship, into unity now, into relationship. Because of his faithfulness, we can have relationship. How many of us know that God is so faithful that his mercy and grace is new every morning? No matter what you go through in life, amen. No matter what you go through in life, no matter how dark the day may be, you always, every single morning, have something to look forward to. And it's the grace and mercy of God that is new in your life every morning. Lamentations 3.23, you know what the word of God tells us? They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's the God that we serve. He's so faithful. What about this? He's faithful to keep his promises. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, he's already told them, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. <laughs> he who said will also do it. We know this, God is so faithful to strengthen us on the inside and to guard us on the outside. He's faithful to protect us under any type of temptation. You can't say right now, you know what, I, I, I fell into temptation. You didn't fall into temptation. You walk right into it. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation is overtaken you except that which is common to man. That means that you knew. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with every temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God is so faithful that when you're being tempted by your own flesh, by your sin lust, by your sin nature. You know what he does? He always, the Holy Spirit, because God is faithful, shows you the exit sign. He makes a way of escape. Get out now before you're in trouble. That is the faithfulness of God in your life. That God is always present. What about this? He's a faithful creator. 1 Peter 4.19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God, notice, if you're going through trouble because you're in God's will, Commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. You know what it means to commit your soul to him? 
deposit your soul into his hands because he's a faithful creator. Put your life into the hands of your creator. Put your soul, deposit and entrust your life over to him who is your faithful creator. That's who you can depend on. That's who you can rely on. Remember this to have peace. He's depending upon the Lord as the answer for power and protection. So pray for us for deliverance against the enemies that oppose us, but the Lord is faithful. He's the answer. I know what these people are up to. I know that they're malicious. I know that they're evil. I know they have bad intentions against the work of God, against the church, against the pastors. Notice, I know they can't be trusted, but God is always faithful. And he is the answer. So because God is faithful, notice verse four, what he says, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you. See, because God is faithful, you know what you can do? You can walk in the confidence of his faithfulness. You can have peace. Since the Lord is faithful, since he will strengthen you, since he will settle you, we have confidence in him. It's the confidence of the Lord in the Lord's power. In fact, you can underline that in your Bible, in the Lord. We have confidence in the Lord. Yeah, we've been having some opposition. It's been hard, but we have confidence in the Lord. And you know what his confidence in the Lord is? It's not in him, in man's power. It's not in man's ability. It's not in man's spirituality. It's not in man's words or empty promises. He's depending upon the Lord. That's where his confidence is because he knows God is faithful. I want to ask you, where is your confidence today? That word confidence is that word fide, which means faithful, which means you put your trust in. Because he's faithful, I put my trust in him. You know what he's saying here? He says, we can have our confidence today in the Lord. I trust the faithful God. Our confidence is in him. We depend on him. How about this? Our loyalty is to the Lord. This is what he's saying to us. In fact, oftentimes we get very frustrated if our confidence is in people. Because people will fail you. But God will never fail you. God's peace is coming into the life of Paul here because he's trusting in God. He's confident that God would do what he said he would do in the lives of these people. I'm confident, notice. I'm not confident in what I can do in your life. Notice what he says. I'm confident in the Lord as to what he can do in your life. I'm not going to force anything in your life because I don't have the power to change anyone. But I'm confident that God will do what he needs to do in your life. God is so faithful that I know that he will give you what you need. He will help you so that you can follow through, so that you can be an obedient church. So what is he saying? Be a praying church. Be trusting in the Lord. But notice now he says, be an obedient church. So at the end of verse four, he says, I'm confident in the Lord concerning you, concerning your spiritual life. I'm putting your spiritual life in the hands of God. I'm committing your spiritual walk unto the Lord. That's a burden that I can't bear on my own. There are some burdens that you can't carry. They're too heavy. You can't do it on your own. So he's saying concerning your spiritual walk, concerning the work of God in his church, I'm confident in the Lord concerning you. I gave it to the Lord. You know what I encourage you? For you to give it to the Lord as well. Whatever it would be that you would say, Lord, I know this is a problem, but I'm confident that you can take care of it. I'm confident regardless of how difficult this may look. I'm confident concerning the matter. You will do a work. And here he says, I'm confident. Notice there in verse, at the end of verse four, concerning you both that you do and will do the things we command you. I'm confident that you will do and that you are doing and that you will continue to do in the future, and you will follow through and be obedient to God's word. Now, do you see it's a word that he uses there, the things that we command you? 
He's saying this is God's commandment for his people that are coming through the teaching of his word. When the pastor, when the shepherd is giving the word, it's not simply the command that comes from him, it's the command that comes through him by the authority of the word of God through the spirit of God. And he's saying, I'm confident that you're going to follow the command of God's word. It's not a recommendation. Do you notice that? It's not an opinion. It's not an option. It's not a good idea. What is it? It's God's commandments for us. And I'm confident that God will continue to guard your life and protect you and strengthen you. And your part in all of that is that you would obey his word. Do you see how God consistently protects and guards us? God, God doesn't just pour spirit maturity and stability in the life of the Christian just from one day to another. Notice he works in us. He works through us as we respond in obedience to his commands. I'm confident that God will finish the work that he's doing in your life, he's saying. And I'm confident that you will obey and continue to obey as you respond as listeners and those that obey the truth that you have received the commandments. But notice here, his confidence is on one thing, that he knows that God is faithful. Finally, our desire for love. Paul says, this is our prayer request. This is also our trust and confidence in the Lord. But now you see our desire for love. He's told them, be praying for us, be a praying church, be trusting in the Lord, be an obedient church. But notice verse five, be a loving church. This is the type of church that we ought to be. Verse five, now may the Lord direct your heart into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. He encourages them with this. He's concerned about the condition of what? The heart. Do you see here that he's basing all of this on God's faithfulness, that he's confident that God would do what he needed to do in their life? And then he says in verse 5, may the Lord direct what? Your hearts into the love of God. He's concerned about the spiritual condition of the people, that their hearts would be directed into the love of God. What does that mean? That you would understand, that you would have a full understanding and knowledge of God's love for you. Because when you understand God's love for you, you notice how you respond? When you understand how much he loves you, you respond in your love for him. And after you respond in your love for him, you also then respond thereafter in your love for other people. So I pray that your heart would be directed into God's love, that you realize fully how much God loves you, and in return that you love him more and you love others more. That you come into a full understanding of the expression of his love for you and that you would then in turn go out and live it. Now, why is it important that the Lord would lead our hearts into his love? That's what it means to direct, that the Lord would lead your heart into his love. Because we live in a world that has so many bids for our affections. There are so many things that are trying to pull our heart in that direction. Maybe it's a job that wants to pull your heart in that direction. Maybe it's a relationship that wants to pull your heart in the direction away from the Lord. It's success. It can be a job. It can be finances that are, that are consistently pulling your heart or your love away from God. So what does he say? May God lead, direct your heart to and point it to his love. That is exactly what God is interested in that you would know and understand, comprehend his love so that you would also respond in love for him. God is interested in your love for him more than anything that you can do, that you can say, that you can bring, that you can give, that you can serve. You know what God wants? God wants you to love him. And if he has our love for him, if, if he has our love, think about this, everything else will fall into place. Today, God wants you to direct your heart towards his love. But not only this, notice the second part of verse 5, and into the patience of Christ. Not only that your heart would be protected in the love of God. What does the Bible tell us regarding 
what we love, First John, it would say, do not love the world or the things of the world. Protect your heart. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's what, that which what I want, the lust of the eyes, what I can see, and the pride of life is not of the Father, it's of the world. And the world is passing away, but the lust and the lust of it. But those who do the will of the Father will abide forever. What are you allowing to come into your heart? What are you allowing your heart to be directed towards? Are you allowing your heart to be led into God's love more so every single day so that you can love him more as a response? Jesus said in Mark 12, 30, and you shall love the Lord your God. With what? All of your heart. With all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. For this is the first commandment. What's the first commandment? The first commandment is not that you go out and do anything. You know what the first commandment is? That you love him. That's what God wants, that you would direct your heart to his love and out of a response to that and the patience of Jesus Christ. That's the patience, the steadfastness that comes from Christ, that our hearts should be directed to his love and that our hearts should be directed into the steadfastness that comes from Christ. You know what this means? It's an active endurance. It's not just waiting. That's not the patience he's describing. But that you would be depending upon the Lord. This is an active endurance, the same type of patience and grace that Jesus expressed when people rejected him as he carried the cross to bear the judgment of our sins, the salvation and forgiveness for our sins, for all mankind. That that type of grace, that that type of patience, that that type of steadfastness, that that type of endurance that Christ displayed would be reproduced in our lives. That it would not only be love, but also our hearts would be directed towards endurance and patience. That as we wait for his return, we make every day really count as we endure our present trials the way Christ endured for the glory that was to be revealed. Do you see here that Christ should be first in your life? that we should do everything that he wants for us and from us? You see, when you read these verses, you find out very quickly that heaven is not a, simply a destination. What is it? It's a motivation. As to how you're supposed to live your life right now, that the Lord would clear away every obstacle, he says, from your heart that's standing in the way of your heart, that would stand in the way of the progress of your life into love and into patience. That's what stability and strength looks like in the life of the Christian. Lord, would you direct my heart to your love? Would you direct my heart into your patience, the same patience that you displayed for me that I would display under this trial? Because my heart is fixed on you. And that's exactly what we need today. Lord, give us the strength that we need as we depend on you because God is faithful. Lord, because we trust you, because God is faithful. That we would respond like you, because God is faithful. Let's go ahead and pray.